<clears throat> this morning, um, first of all, I want to wish all the mothers happy Mother's Day. Grateful for all that mothers have done for us, and um, something that God ordained from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, and uh, it's a wonderful thing that God has done. And so, on this day we salute all the mothers that have, are among us, out of our respect and admiration for what they what they have done and what they are doing. This morning I'd like to begin in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. when the children of Israel were camped at the Red Sea and Pharaoh king of Egypt after having let them go he regretted it and came after them when they were camped by the Red Sea this is after the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt and suffered from cruel bondage and when Pharaoh drew near the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold the Egyptians marched after them so they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. For the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You know, the fact is, is that God did not cry Israel for, to Israel for deliverance, but Israel cried out to God for deliverance when they were enslaved in Egypt. And God was in the process of working it out. But you see the circumstances that God allowed them to come through to test them. You see how that as they saw them, they had no faith. They had seen... Ten plagues that God had struck the Egyptians with in Egypt. The last one, the killing of the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And God, with a mighty hand, pulled them out of Egypt. And God was in the process of answering their prayer. But you see that he tested them along the way to see if they would trust him. He allowed them to go through different tests and trials. And you see their response. 
a negative response, a negative attitude. In the book of Deuteronomy, God sums up through Moses. He tells Moses about the Israelites. He says, he says these are children in whom there is no faith. And you see it being played out over and over again. An attitude. An attitude that comes from the heart. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, um, Matthew, I'm not going to turn there now, but he said that the things that proceed from the mouth, they, these are the things which defile a man. Not the things that go into them will come out of them. Nowadays there's such a big movement to be careful what you put into your body. And it's probably a good idea. Yeah. But don't drink <clears throat> but at the same time Jesus said these are not the things that defile a person. The things that come out of them come from the heart. And one of the things he mentions were his evil thoughts. Evil attitudes, bad attitudes, carnal attitudes, ungodly attitudes, complaining attitudes, grumbling attitudes like the Israelites. What we see in the Israelites is the Bible says is an example to us. Well, why do we need that example? I remember reading this as a young Christian, reading about the Israelites and saying, What's wrong with these people? You know, God's doing all this stuff in front of Why is it that they're not trusting God? And God tells us not to be like that. Because what's in them is in us, naturally. This is what the carnal mind, the carnal human nature is all about. And these are the things that defile us. And the attitude of the Israelites exposed what God said about them later through Moses. These people have no faith. These people don't believe me. They don't trust me. No matter what I've done, they don't trust me. And that's our challenge. I mean, we're not talking about these people from thousands of years ago, maybe 4,000 years ago, it's not about them now, it's about us and what we can learn from that. The Bible says the things that were written beforehand were written for our learning and for our warning so we don't do the things that they did, make the same mistakes that they did. Because we certainly can. And today we want to talk about this attitude. There's two more examples from the Old Testament from these people here. Uh, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them, 
and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. Verse 4, Now the multitude was among them yielded to intense craving, so the children of Israel wept, also wept against, and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, cucumbers, melons, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now our whole being is dried up, and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. In the book of Deuteronomy, God explains why he gave them manna and not all the food they had in Egypt. He says, because I was testing them to see, to, so that they would learn in that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Food is for survival, for living. And God was trying to teach them something that they weren't willing to learn. And you see, they were, they were grumbling about this food that they had to eat. Wasn't, and they talked about all the great food they had in Egypt. Uh, yeah, but when they were in Egypt, uh, they weren't happy with the food because, with the, you know, and satisfied with the food because they were being lashed with lashes and, and they, were, they were being beaten and, and treated cruelly and horribly as slaves and they're being forced to, to do whatever their masters bid them to do. They had a horrible life there and they were not thankful for what God brought them through and delivered them from bondage. They forget where they came from, in other words. And they were grumbling about their present circumstances. God has delivered us in Christ from Satan's hold. He has delivered us from slavery, from bondage, similar to Egypt. But yet these people were so deceived, they said, let's go back there. It's like going back to the world for a Christian. We're living in the flesh. The next one is in chapter 14. This is where the spies come back and bring the evil report. Uh, ten of the twelve spies bring back the evil report. And one thing about a, a, an evil report, it can catch fire and spread. Just like somebody telling a tale. It can do a lot of damage. It can spread. Slander, gossip, these kinds of things. A bad attitude, grumbling, complaining, it spread from the ten of the twelve spies. They brought back a, a, an evil report and it spread throughout all of the camp of Israel. So much so that only Joshua and Caleb from that whole generation of men that was twenty and up went into the promised land. And we listened to them. And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. People God had chosen to be leaders. 
If only we had died in Egypt, in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They were free, and yet they desired to become slaves again. They didn't like what they had to go through. God promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, a prosperous, beautiful land, and it was that. The spies said that, but yet they questioned God. Why does God let me? Get, why is God letting us go through all this? Our faith will be tested, whether we like it or not. Jesus said, "In this world, you will have tribulation, and we can fight against it." Or we can embrace it. Because Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The, all, the word all in the dictionary means all. means everything. Everything that happens in our life, in the big picture, and God knows this, works together for the good, to those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. But to these, they had no faith. They were children without faith. And that's why they had this attitude. This attitude is the opposite of faith. And yet the Bible says that we must live by faith. Faith is more than a profession. It's a life lived. And a life lived means that we apply faith to all these situations of life. You hear the words of Joshua and Caleb. God promised us this. He's able to do this. Let's go. Where did they get this positive attitude? They weren't nuts. They heard it from God. They heard God's words. And they said, that God's word's true. We're going to follow it. And so you see the conflict between faith and doubt. True and false. God's word and our own understanding in the way of the world. The conflict that we all have to fight with. When the Apostle Paul says, uh, fight the good fight of faith, he told Timothy. It's because it is a fight. And what are we fighting with? We're fighting against spirits. We're fighting against principalities and powers. Yes. We're fighting against our own human natural reasoning, our own, nat our own nature. We're, we're fighting with these things. This is a fight to the very end, a fight of faith. The children of Israel at this time, they lost the fight because they had no faith. They listened to their own human nature. When God said to them, I'm giving you the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had this false notion in their mind that everything was going to be hunky-dory. You know, everything was going to be just great, and there was going to be no trials, and there's just going to be riches and honor and blessing, and no, nothing should happen that would be the least bit negative. They were naive. Now, 
They didn't take God at His word. I think there is many that this happens to in Christendom that believe if they follow Christ, if they come to Christ and follow Him, that everything is supposed to go right all the time. <clears throat> I remember after we had um, after uh, we had lost our uh, one of our children in a, who was stillborn that Kate had at six months pregnant. Seven, I'm sorry. Uh, that uh, a fellow from work who was not a Christian, he heard about it, and he came up to me and he said, and he had just buried his baby a few months before that that was born and lived for a couple of days and then it died. I was working at the cemetery at that time, and the baby was actually buried at the cemetery I was working at. And he came up to me after he heard the news about what happened with us, he said, I thought you were a Christian. He says, you're a Christian. Why did this kind of stuff happen to you? You know? And that's something naive that people can believe that the Christian will never have any trials. And some even in Christendom may believe that. And certainly the children of Israel had, had bought into that kind of thinking. And they were surprised and shocked and they gave up hope when they went through when they went through the fire, so to speak, of trials, of hunger and thirst, of not having their fancy foods and their desires, not just their needs, their desires weren't being met. And they began to get hostile. Hostile. We today, we may never speak those words. We may never speak grumbling words against God. But, what is, but there's an attitude that we can have about our circumstances, about others in our life, our children, our parents, our husband, our wife, our, our boss, our job, our circumstances, our health. And we can just go on and on and just have that negative attitude about them. And the problem with that is, is that that's not living by faith. That's not an attitude of faith coming from our hearts. That's bad stuff. We must live by faith, the Bible says. And if we hear this stuff coming out of us, Complain about the weather and the weatherman. Complain about, you know, you name it. Our finances. Can't buy what we want. Can't have what we want. Can't do what we want. And we can just go on and on. And we never may, may never speak a word against God. But just having that attitude shows that there's something unspiritual. There's an unspiritual mindset. It's a natural mindset, and it's unspiritual mindset. And it's not being spiritually minded. The fact of the matter is that the Bible says it brings forth death into our life. To be carnally minded is death. And this insidious attitude is not just something that affects a few or somebody on the edge. It affects everybody. And that's why we have to learn, the Bible says, from these examples... 
these admonitions, these warnings from this, these stories that we read from the Old Testament. <clears throat> Why has the Lord brought us to the land to this land to fall by the sword? And our wives and our children should become victims. And this is what all that leads to, to the point where we start looking at God. The Apostle Paul talked about a couple of guys in the Brotherhood. He says that they had suffered shipwreck concerning the faith. And he turned them over to Satan so that he learned not to blaspheme. So their faith was destroyed, and they turned against God. They started speaking against God. That's ultimately Satan's plan. First, to get us to grumble against our all the things we talked about, and then, why is God? We start to look at God. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm following the Lord. Why is this all happening? And we begin to question God. And the fact is, that this is a, this becomes a dark road. And they begin to say, let's go back to Egypt. And that's where our reasoning leads us. It leads us away from God. It leads us back to the way of the world, the way of the flesh, to do, to do carnal things, to think carnal things, to speak carnal things. It takes us back. We begin to see that some of those attributes of ourselves that we had before we were converted. Philippians chapter 2, where we're in, in, in the, the, the um, communion meditation this morning. Beginning in verse 12, where we left off this morning. Therefore, my brothers, as you have, you have always obeyed, not as much, not as in my presence only, now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. To all things without complaining and disputing. The, the other versions say grumbling and arguing. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast <clears throat> to the word of life. Holding fast to God's word, the word of life. Not being moved from it. And the opposite is what he talks about here. Arguing, grumbling, complaining, disputing, strife and contention within ourselves, and strife and contention and arguings and complainings among ourselves. 
And he's warning against it. God is at work in us. Don't lose heart. Hold fast to the word of life. Don't, don't fall into that, that evil attitude of grumbling and complaining and arguing. And again, it may not be against God. It might just be about our lives. Things we don't like in our lives. But if we believe the Word of God, we believe that God's going to work it all out. And work it out for the good. Not for the evil. For the good. <clears throat> I know from experience the difference. We all can kind of grab hold of that. We can see the difference between the times we're just putting everything in the hands of God. We're trusting God for everything and we're, <clears throat> we're in that high place. And then we go down the roller coaster. And then everything is like, ah, you know, and it's like everything's a big, everything's a big problem in life. And, you know, why is this happening? And why am I like this? And why are they like that? And why are they treating me this way? Why is the boss doing that? Why is my wife doing that? Why is my husband doing that? Why is he like that? Why is their attitude that way? And, 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 and we just, as things happen in our life, and life happens every day. And not everything Happen, that happens in our life is good and pleasant, as we would like it to be. Of course, that's life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a corrupt world and society. And nobody's been immune to being influenced by it in one way or another. Do all things. There's that word, there's that word all again. All meaning all. Do all things without complaining and arguing or, or grumbling. I looked up the word grumble, because that's the word used in the King James concerning the Israelites, and used here also the word grumble. <clears throat> Children were asked what it meant, and they said it means complaining in a low voice. <laughs> uh, Webster's Dictionary said, it, it means complaining about something or somebody in a bad-tempered or an annoyed way. To mutter in discontent. To complain. To gripe. To grouch. To murmur. To squawk. To mutter. To whine. To fuss. To bellyache. To crab. And to grump. <laughs> Those are just some of them. I'm sure there's a lot more. Uh, but I like the one that says complaining in a low voice. But sometimes that voice isn't so loud. It gets loud sometimes. Jesus had handpicked 12 men to be special people. And as he was teaching and discipling them, he said to them, How is it that you have no faith? Why would he pick people like that? God put them through a process that they eventually submitted to and they became men of great faith. And I think that gives us hope when we know that. That people who had no faith became people of great faith. God can change us.
we come to him, he will make the changes necessary. Allow him that we open our hearts to him, to seek him. And his mercies, as Dan said, are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. <clears throat> to all things without complaining and grumbling or arguing. God is at work in us, it says right before us. God is at work in us to do His will and to do His pleasure. And certainly His will and pleasure is not for us to have that, that old man carnal attitude. The Bible says to put away the old man. And when we talk about putting away the old man, some things come to the forefront. Immorality, drunkenness, violence, cursing, but yet there's these things that come deeper down to the attitudes of the heart. It's part of the old nature that he's telling us to put to death and put away, to crucify his the ungodly attitudes that lurk within each of us. We may not even let them come out of our mouth, but they will influence and affect us if we allow them to simmer and to fester within. Somehow it will come out in some way. It's unavoidable. Because Jesus said, the things that in our heart come out of us, and this is the things that defile a person. No matter how we try to suppress it, must not, it can't be suppressed, but it can be crucified through the blood of Christ. Just like everything else. The next one we want to look at is in James chapter 5. And this one is a little more narrow and specific in what James is talking about. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. <clears throat> Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is at the door. My brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and see the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You know, this is what I call a sandwich here. You see that it's talking about faith and patience and waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And then at the end of that, it talks about the prophets who endured and suffered patiently. And they were, they were an example of faith and patience. But sandwiched in between the two of them 
Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Faith and patience talked about on both sides of grumbling. It's not by accident. It's not just coincidence that it's that way. That it's written, things that are written this way are, are and, and, and brought out this way are done for a reason. He talks about the farmer being patient and waiting. Waiting for the fruit. And we must be patient waiting for the fruit of our prayers, of our faith. Jesus said, faith is like a seed which a man plants and it becomes it becomes great. We wait for the fruit of our faith. Our prayers being answered. The things that we hope for, realizing and receiving the things that we hope for. And in the middle of that, it talks about not grumbling against each other. And then he goes on to talk about the faith and patience of the prophets. And the suffering of the prophets. And they are an example to us. The patience of Job. He didn't grumble against God. His wife told him to curse God. He refused. He said, should we receive good things from God and not bad things? The Lord lives. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Bible says that everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you and me. This is God's will to give thanks in everything. This seems outrageous that we should give thanks in everything. But if we understand that God's purpose and plan, that He's at work in us, and it's all the work in us is to work out for the good, it changes our whole outlook. We begin to look at things the way God does. We begin to look at the big picture. We see the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We see the end of the story of Job. Job didn't see the end of it, but he maintained his integrity and refused to curse God. The horrible things happened to him. Extreme things, things that we may never, may or might not ever go through. But God sees the big picture. And in everyday life, we can get caught up and focus on the details of our circumstances and not the end intended by the Lord. That the end intended by the Lord in our life is that everything in our life is supposed to work out for the good. And they will work out for the good if we continue in Him, if we trust Him, if we walk with Him. Everything works out for the good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. So then why should we grumble? Why should we complain? If it's a rainy day, why should we complain? Because God has a plan for every day. If there's a black cloud trying to hang over us, dark circumstances, it's okay. 
we trust God, it's all going to work together for the good. If we have faith, it's going to work together for the good. The grass is not greener on the other side. Going back to Egypt was not going to be better for the children of Israel. It wasn't greener there. No. We begin to see what Paul says, the secret of being content, no matter what my circumstances are. What is the secret? It's all going to work out to the good. We, we believe God. This is all going to work out. If I just trust Him. If I live by faith. It's all going to work out. Not be moved by my circumstances. Look not at the things that are seen, but the things which are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. But the things which are unseen are permanent. The will of God. The vision of God. Seeing as God sees. Man does not see as God sees, says in Samuel. But if we trust God, He will give us vision. We have the mind of Christ. We can have understanding. We can wait patiently for the precious fruit of trusting God. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He plants the seed, and as Jesus said, when he plants it, he doesn't know how it grows. He doesn't. He just has faith. In, in the planting time, there's faith that there's going to be a harvest. If he didn't have faith, why would he bother planting? Why would he do all that hard work? The plowing, the planting, the back-breaking work of, a har of, of that comes in farming. Why would he even bother doing it if, he did, if there was no harvest? If he didn't believe there was a harvest? He had no hope of it. If he had no hope, why do it? Why kill yourself for nothing? There's no fruit involved. But the farmer does it because he has faith that there's going to be a reward. And so instead of looking at our circumstances in that negative way that defiles us, trust God. Live by faith. Believe his word. We count those blessed who endure. Follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And the last reference I have is from the book of Jude. Jude in the one and only chapter beginning in verse 14. Speaking about the coming of Christ. <clears throat> now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, brothers, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
how they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual or worldly persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, brothers, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some having compassion, making a difference. And others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to our God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. God's judgment against the ungodly, the grumblers, the complainers. First Corinthians chapter 10 says, And be not grumblers like some of them were, and were destroyed by the destroyer. A warning about the ungodly attitudes that may lurk within, to put them to death, and to keep yourself instead in the love of God. Because those who do not love do not know God. Not my words, it's First John. Keeping ourselves in the love of God, building ourselves up in the most holy faith, growing as a Christian, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Praise the Lord. Brother Dan, I'm going to start with you, and then brothers.